Hello, my name is Jess Lindley and this is Arthur's Heroes, the podcast from Arthur's Place, the magazine and social network for young adults with arthritis. You can find us at arthursplace.co.uk and follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is supported by Novartis UK. We are grateful to Novartis for their support, but they have no influence over the content of the podcast. Today on the Arthur's Place podcast, we're doing something slightly different. Our guest today doesn't have arthritis, um, but she is one of my friends and she is here to shed light on what it's like to be a friend of somebody with arthritis when you don't know what it's like yourself. Um, Hi, Anna. Hi, Jess. Um, So to give you all a bit of background, we met, I think, five years ago now. That That sounds about right, yeah. Oh my word. 2014. Crazy. Yeah, 2014 as uh, young, innocent university freshers. Um, and well, we've been friend- friends ever since, basically. Uh, we've spent vast quantities of time together. So Anna is better placed than pretty much anybody else I know to tell the Arthur's Place community what it's like to be my friend on the good days right. and on the bad days. Right, it was almost 24-7 at one point, spending time together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. So, Anna, when did you first notice that I was not necessarily always the most mobile of human beings? Um, Honestly, it wasn't straight away. I think perhaps um, <laughs> after sitting on the ground in people's rooms watching uh bake off or or movies or whatever you'd always take a bit longer to get up um and definitely look like you were in pain while doing it <laughs> but uh you know that that can be normal so it definitely took me a while to clock i think um early in second year was the big realization that this is like not just sitting on the ground bone pain because we were at a uh a Halloween party with one of our friends and I can't remember whether anything triggered it but you managed to get over there just fine but it was on the way back that you really couldn't walk without assistance yeah. <laughs> I remember that right <laughs> probably your like, uh, your arm has never been the same again well I definitely um yeah I got used to <laughs> supporting a, a, a large weight on my right hand side <laughs> thanks um Okay, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't exactly hidden at any point because if you can't move, that's not something you can really hide. But I tried, especially in the early days, to not make a big deal of it. So on, you know, at that point when we went to that party and I remember that evening vividly for a number of reasons, what did you think? Like, what did you think was happening? What did you think was going on? Honestly, I had no idea what specifically was going on, but my main concern was, well, it was basically, I was just, you know, extraordinarily worried <laughs> because, you know, suddenly a friend can't walk, like actually cannot bear the weight of their own body on the ground. You know, that, that my main reaction was not, oh, what's happening? It was, how can I help? And, you know supreme concern so it was definitely not a a cut and run kind of thing uh, oh this person can't walk 
No, I mean, definitely not at that point. I think even if I had had a more unpleasant reaction, it would have been later. But at the time, you know, my, my instinct is always to assist and to make people feel better if I possibly can. And when you can't do that, it's quite difficult. And it's like, you know, can you sit down? Can I can I help you? But the, the answer is, you know, I actually can't. All I can do is carry you home. And actually, that doesn't make anything better. Not even that night you were still in pain. Is that like, as a friend, is that a tough thing? Because everybody talks about people people who are disabled or people who are ill or whatever and say oh it must be so hard on their family but especially when you're living in a kind of university context or spending a lot of time with somebody I would imagine that as a friend it's not that easy to watch somebody be in pain or be struggling and not be able to help yes I honestly that's probably the biggest thing like, especially the English, I imagine, you always want to bring somebody tea or, or make them comfortable. And when you can't, even just as an onlooker, if I wasn't your friend, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> this doesn't make me happy. And then as your friend, not being able to help you feel comfortable or, you know, you know, just not being able to help at all is actually really very difficult. And so obviously for the first, what, three years? that we knew each other you had no idea what was going on and nor did I I only got my diagnosis at the end of 2017 you out of everybody was were probably the most instrumental in persuading me to fight for that so if we're thinking about people whose friends are going through this and they're completely defeated by what's going on and the whole complicated medical journey that these things often take what advice would you give them? Probably advice that you've given me. Why should they not give up? Right. Well, that's it. That's exactly the specifically for for the friends um, pushing to get their friend a medical diagnosis. For me, the result of that twenty seventeen diagnosis was that a lot of the useless anxiety that I had managed to drop away. Really, because suddenly you do have. A pretty much not not a prescription yet but something you can research something you can look into um and a whole set of steps for how to move forward that you don't really have when you're just sort of flailing in the dark so really and when when i'm talking to you if i <laughs> when, when i was trying to persuade you to keep at it like when, when you're when you're trying to comfort somebody it's so easy to slip into the you know it'll all be all right in the end but if you don't know that it's really difficult to say that and when you end up with a diagnosis in hand, you actually have a whole suite of things that you can say that are helpful in a way that, oh, it'll be all right in the end, is not. And actually that's kind of deleterious to the person who's suffering and doesn't think that there's any way to move forward when you don't have an answer or even a way to find an answer. So from my perspective, I always thought, as you know, and as I've said before on this podcast, that once I found out what it was, it would be fixed and obviously on that day the rug was very much pulled out from under my feet in that respect. It sounds like for you it was a help rather than a hindrance to have that diagnosis. I know for me initially, well probably more than initially, probably for at least the first year, it was a massive hindrance and required a massive adjustment for me. So when I told you and Again, I remember vividly the the context. We were standing on the side of the river. It was the middle of a race. 
for rowing when I told you that it was never going to go away and that this was something that I would be stuck with forever what did you think at that point did your opinion change my immediate reaction was concern for you really your but your your emotional state in that moment was what I was really focused on but once that had been discussed like really like you said earlier it felt like a lot more of a relief I know it wasn't for you in any way but for me suddenly instead of just you know my friend Jess is hurting all the time and we don't know what it is it's my friend Jess is hurting and there's something we could potentially do about it and that was for you it was a whole weight of you know how do I even move forward through this horrible new thing that I don't even know anything about but for me it was because I had the perspective to be like okay I can look at this without it terrifying the 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 whatever out of me um I could do the objective research as a friend and then bring that to you in a calm way that I know you couldn't handle at the time so for me, it was definitely a relief to have something to deal with straightforwardly like that. And a way for you to be the voice of reason. Right, exactly. When that was far away from what I could do in that point. Finally, something that I can actively help with that isn't just, you know, ameliorating hot water bottles in the moment, hot showers in the moment, you know, something more long term. And so I think my biggest fear, maybe not immediately, because as you say, kind of reeling from shock, and I'm sure that's something that a lot of the listeners of this podcast will identify with but another thing that I think that they will identify with is the doubt that then creeps into your mind about the fact that you've got to live your whole life with this and you don't know what will happen and will everybody get bored of trying to help you will everybody get fed up will everybody get to the point where they're like honestly I just can't take another day of this person having to deal with this and I just need to go back to my more able-bodied friends who don't need to walk at three miles an hour or like actually three miles an hour sounds quite fast one mile an hour um you know I think that is a huge concern for a lot of people so is that something that's ever crossed your mind not at all not once I would never I I can't imagine a world in which the comfort and the friendship that I derive from you would be in any way negatively affected by the diagnosis and that's really something to to think about like in this world it's very rare that we only have one or two people to fulfill every single thing that we want out of a friend like maybe I have a mountain biking friend that I go mountain biking with but my friend in the city that I live in we meet up for coffee and you know sit in an armchair and chat and the benefit of that encounter is emotional comfort and the benefit of the mountain biking friend is we have a good exercise together but I don't expect me to go mountain biking exactly and that doesn't mean well actually in your case I'm sure you would go mountain biking with me. I would not go but... mountain biking <laughs> okay not anymore I don't want any one of my friends to be putting themselves through something that hurts them and I want to you know spend time with them in a way that makes both of us happy and that doesn't place any limitations on me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can go mountain biking whenever I want, but I want to spend time with you and see you happy and chat and have fun. And that's totally separate from your ability or not ability. Okay, so that leads on very nicely to the next thing I want to talk about, which is all the, what I've kind of termed normal friend stuff that we do. Because I'm sure you'd agree with me in saying that Although this is a big part of my life and therefore by extension at times a big part of yours, it does not define what we do together as friends and it's not what our friendship is based on. No. So I can't, I do not have enough fingers and toes to count all the different things that we've done over the past five years, but 
we've travelled, we've been to concerts, we've cooked dinner and watched films, we've done endless quantities of stuff together as people do with their friends. And in doing those normal friend things, especially the ones that involve a bit more kind of commitment, like, you know, recently we went to New York together. How do you plan for stuff like that when you don't know if one morning I'll just wake up and not be able to move? I like to plan a lot of flexibility when I'm traveling, even if I'm just on my own, because if you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, it's a grim day outside, I don't exactly want to spend the day walking around. Now, that's not super different from waking up with a friend you're traveling with and that friend says, I'm not comfortable spending a lot of time walking around outside today. You know, it's, it's when you're traveling, you want to build in backups for those rainy days or those days when you can't walk so much. And there's so many things to do in a city like sit in a in a botanical garden and look at the flowers inside a greenhouse or uh, go watch some film or explore on the ferry you know there's there's so many different things you can do um, depending on the weather or the weather of your friend and I don't think that there's even any limitation for that especially in a city like New York you're always you always have an option. You can go eat bagels all day. We did eat bagels all day. We did eat bagels all day. But that's really like, I know that in my case, I need you to tell me how you're feeling. Because if I have an idea about how the day is going to go, and you don't tell me how you're feeling, and it turns out that you were in pain the whole day, then that's that's a horrible shock for me. So the communication, the getting over, I know, I know you're very, you, you are proud of the fact that you can do things despite, but I am so much happier when you don't have to do things despite, and we do things with, you know, and, and make sure you're happy at all times or comfortable at all times. That is the thing that really brings me joy when we can do things that we're both comfortable doing. So there's absolutely no fear for you to tell me how you're feeling and to adjust plans accordingly. No, and at this point I would, but retrospectively that wouldn't always have been the case. So no. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I know you said earlier you felt like you weren't hiding your your pain, but in in, in the early years of us knowing each other, but in first year and the beginning of second year, my first impression of you was that you were very proud of being able to function at a high level no matter what your actual physical capacity was. And at the time I was like, oh, you know, that's just sleep levels or stress levels or work levels. But obviously there was actually something else going on. And I think even then I and all of our friends would have been totally fine to know that there were days when you simply just didn't feel like doing the more exhausting things. And then we could have done something less exhausting and less painful. And that's fine at all times, like even with people you've just met the general person wants to make sure that the people they're interacting with are not in pain because of the things they're doing. You know, that's just nice, nice things that humans do for each other. <laughs> so what you're saying is, as a friend, it is better to know the truth. Yes. Than to not be able to adapt. Right. And even to not, not a friend, you know, I know there's, there is that fear that uh, people you don't know are going to react in a backwards way, but honestly, that's on them. Um, and, good people will want to make you safe. Okay, so you've said it's easier for me to tell you if I'm in pain or if I'm tired and don't want to do something. Obviously, by its very nature, arthritis is often predominantly invisible. Right. 
what are the things that I can do or that a person suffering could say to their friends to help them to understand what they need? Like, what is it helpful for you to know from me in those moments? Right. And that's the thing that I think you could almost answer better as to the things you've found effective that people respond to. But in my case, I've learned to ask more often. And that that is on me to be just, you know, when we're walking down the street, like, do you want to slow down? Do you want to amble a bit? <laughs> Stroll a bit slower? Love a good amble, me. <laughs> yeah, or you know, do you need a do you need a hand coming up from the chair or whatever? But so so that is definitely I have been more aware of things that I can ask about to make you to make it easier on you to tell me because I know it's very difficult to come up to somebody and come out with something right off the bat like I can't you know or can you help me with this Mm -hmm. it's easier to have people ask but a lot of people don't they just aren't aware like you say the invisible nature of arthritis makes it quite difficult so in you know really what have you found to have an effect in terms of things that you can say to people you don't necessarily know? I think the first bit of it is reminding people because as you say, it is invisible and you and I probably are not best placed to answer this question in general because we've spent enough time together that... We're a bit psychic. Yeah, you kind of, you you know, like you can read the signs. Yeah, I can look over and you're, you're, you're you know, squinting a little and your face is a bit drawn. I'm like, let's slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but not even, obviously, a lot of our other very close friends wouldn't be in that position and they would forget. Right. Which is why, you know, people, that that higher level of awareness is definitely something able-bodied people should be paying more attention to. And that's totally on me and on us, but, you know, in the world as it is. Yeah. You just have to try and explain it the best way you can. And that's not necessarily going to be the same for everybody that you know. So I can just say to you, like, oh, my hip's really sore, I don't want to walk loads. But other people might require a bit more explanation or it's just kind of learning what works for you and what works for them. I think the important thing is that it doesn't go too far the other way because what I don't like and what I'm sure a lot of people would agree is the one of the, the worst things is when people try to look after you when you don't need it. Oh, God, right, yeah. And I remember, I have a vivid memory of one time being at university and we were all sitting on the floor watching a film and I went in late for whatever reason. I don't know if I'd been cooking my dinner or what, but everyone was like, oh, Jess, here's a chair for you. And I cannot be the only person sitting on a chair in a room full of people sitting on the floor because... It just singles you out in a way that you don't necessarily want. And actually, if your joints are feeling fine, you can sit on the floor for an hour and a half and it, it won't kill you. I think there's a balance. But in that case, that 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 specific situation, I think <laughs> we did make a chair available and you probably could have sat at it. Yeah, I know, but nobody else was sitting on a chair and it's it's a case of being singled out. And I think that's that's a fine balance that people have to tread from my perspective. Like... Yes, I want people to understand, but I don't want them to walk on eggshells. Right. If you had to pick, though, which direction would you have people fall? Like, too callous or too overbearing? Oh, squarely in the middle, please. Right. (laughs) But I think a general level, a higher level of awareness in society, if that did tip into, you know, being overcareful of people, I don't think that's a terrible thing. No. And I guess there's always a period of adjustment where people will get more used to to what you can and can't do 
and there's a certain level of trust that actually people with things like arthritis probably know their bodies a lot better than able-bodied people know their bodies oh gosh absolutely like i know there's a a whole thing with wrist bracelets for people with um epileptic attacks so that people don't become overly careful of them and whisk them off to hospital or whatever but um and i know you and and in terms of physical representation of uh invisible things i know you've got the pineapple pin that you're working on for communication in the workplace What, what what are the examples you have of it working so far loads of people have emailed us or sent us facebook messages and said oh i tried this out on this day and it worked really well i haven't actually tried it yet because in the six weeks i've had a a proper job in inverted commas so far i've been pretty lucky but the time will come and uh, i'll let you all know then but um right yeah i think it's just that 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 way of communicating without having to make this is this is the thing I think it's about making it a big deal and when it's your everyday life you don't want to make it a big deal because then it just makes everything seem harder well absolutely so you want to just make it as normal as possible and just be able to say to somebody look today I can't do this and that be fine and there'd be no more questions asked right absolutely I guess it's kind of similar to the fact to the to the current state of being where people just assume that most people are straight and when you have to come out to people you know every single day the onus is always on the person who has to come out whereas you know in a more even society in which people were more conscious of things we wouldn't assume anything and we would you know ask and then the onus would be on the person asking rather than anything exactly it's the same so you shouldn't you shouldn't necessarily and I do it too everybody does it but I look at people in the street and you judge them as being able-bodied or whatever and you have no idea what they might what might be happening so I think that's a task for all of us to be honest not just not just friends everybody extend human compassion and understanding to any possibility Mm -hmm. okay so I think we've covered quite a lot of helpful information hopefully there that will set people's minds at rest a bit as they consider telling their friends talking more to their friends have you got any questions for me anything that you've like always wanted to know or I don't know the world's your oyster I guess was there ever was that was there a, a game change moment in which you decided to trust me with this information and your state of being or was it sort of gradual growth of trust there was a game change and I don't know if you'll remember it as much as I do because probably wasn't as significant for you as it was for me but there was one day it was in second year because I think that was the year that probably that was the worst year of us all being at Cambridge together and everybody being able to kind of tell that I couldn't really move a lot of the time um but there was one day when we were walking back from a dinner that we'd been to and the first thing was that everybody else walked off in front which they've done on so many occasions not through any fault of their own just because as we've said they they don't necessarily think um but you didn't and that surprised me because you've got the longest legs out of all of us um and then you asked me loads of questions you asked me questions that medical professionals hadn't even asked me. You asked me questions that nobody had asked me about what it was like and how it felt. And I was like, oh, I think she actually wants to know. And it was at that point I was like, oh, okay, well, if she wants to know, she's going to get more than she bargained for. Yes. 
That's really... Are you right? I don't remember that specific night. Yeah. I do, vividly. And then, obviously, there was the night in third year, which... I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. The one where I was sleeping on your floor because I was back from my year abroad and it did not go to plan. In that moment, I knew that if you did not kill me when you woke up because I was lying on your floor, like unable to move and unable to stop moving. And it was just the the worst probably night Mm. ever in terms of pain that you were kind of in it for the long haul and (laughs) it would just be fine. (laughs) (sighs) Right. Trials of fire and all that. Oh yes, baptism of fire extraordinaire, that was. Okay, so I'm going to ask you these two final questions that I've got. (sighs) Number one, I think we might have covered, but I'm going to ask you it bluntly because it's been on my mind and I'm sure on the mind of everybody in a similar situation. Would there ever be a final straw of arthritis-related situations where you no longer wanted to spend time with me? Of arthritis-related situations? No. Yeah. Not at all. I think the only thing that could possibly drive me to not want to spend time with you would be a if personality really change. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> a lot of my um, sticking points with people tend to be empathetic failures. You know, if I suddenly discover that a person does not extend empathy to a group of people and doesn't know why that's a problem, that's when I begin to lose patience with them. I'm pretty, pretty even-tempered otherwise, but... I don't think there's anything you could possibly, that could possibly happen to you regarding arthritis that would affect my opinion of you as a person. Because my opinion of you as a person is totally separate from your meat carcass, you know? Like, that's that that's not who you are. Who you are is, you know, your kindness and your curiosity and your eagerness to learn and your joy in life, you know? And that's not going to change. To people who have arthritis, like me, who might be considering talking to their friends more or sharing more with their friends, but being worried about placing burdens on people and just making them feel like they have to help with things that they don't necessarily want to or that they don't want to be involved in, or who are just blatantly scared of rejection, if they do mention it, what would you say to them? I think the first thing I would say is that your friend loves you. And if they don't, then they're not your friend. And their reaction is completely separate to what that of a real friend would be. And if your friend loves you, they want you to feel as as good as possible in their company. And communication is absolutely key to that. And keeping things from your friends that could help them help you is really not useful to either of you, even if it makes you feel safer in the moment by, by uh, you know, the, the, the mortifying ordeal of being known and all that. But once you get past that, there's so much more you can do in the space of honesty and the space of truth between two people that really brings a rewarding friendship to life that can't come about when you're hiding that information from your friend. And for me personally, I, I love knowing when Jess is feeling healthy and when Jess is feeling in pain, because then the things that I can do to help are so much clearer. And not even to help, you know, to spend time with and to value the time that we spend together. I, you know, really appreciate when things are mutual between us. And I can't do that if all the information isn't out in the open. So that's really my biggest advice, you know, communication and trust and love is key. Okay, thank you. Um, And I'm gonna say one more thing, which is my message to all the friends out there, if any of them are listening to this podcast. 
and I don't I think you'll probably empathize with this I hope so anyway but that it's fine to be scared Mm, absolutely it's it's fine for you to be scared about what might happen and it's fine for you to tell your friend with arthritis that you're scared about what might happen because they are really scared all of the time and it helps to know that they're not alone in that situation it's much much better it's it's what you said before it's much much better to know that somebody that you value and you trust feels similarly to you about something than to think that they think everything's going to be fine and therefore you can't be honest with them about how you really feel so if you're scared tell them that you're scared because it's fine they are as well yeah you're in it together okay on that note that we're in it together go and tell your friends and see what happens because I'm sure it'll be better than you think thank you very much Anna for coming on the podcast and for being so honest and also for not making me cry because that was a risk anytime we'll leave it there (laughs) bye Thank you for listening to Arthur's Heroes. For more podcasts, information and access to loads of great content for young adults with arthritis, please visit arthursplace.co.uk. You can also find other young adults to chat to in the Arthur's Place social Facebook group. Follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Codeword Pineapple, the pin badge for people with an invisible disability at codewordpineapple.org.uk. Thank you to Novartis UK for their support in the production of this podcast.